Those wonderful songs to lead up to our worship through God's Word this morning as we were singing them. I was imagining in my mind's eyes, and I hope that's what these songs do for you, they bring to your remembrance God's Word. And as we were singing that of how God deserves all the glory and all the power, um, my mind was immediately going to um, forever and ever, my mind immediately went to Revelation Chapter 22, and you see the end of all things, and you see uh, the Lamb shining as a light in the new heavens and the new earth. You see heaven come down to earth, the presence of the Father. You see all the saints of all time dwelling and worshiping the Lord and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. You see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit receiving glory forever and ever and ever. And it makes my heart yearn for that day when He will receive the glory that He's due forever and in all places and at all times. Uh, But until then, here we are on earth And how do we give God the honor and the praise and the glory that He deserves as His people today? Well, Proverbs 30, verse 5 promises us that every word of God proves true. That He's a shield to every single one who takes refuge in Him. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be entering into one of the final sections in our study of this book of 1 Peter, where Peter has been teaching us slowly, systematically, faithfully every week the basic tenets of essential Christianity. Not exceptional Christianity that are only saved and reserved for super saints, if there were such a thing, but no, essential Christianity. What does it look like to be born again by the Spirit of God and indwelt by the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to live in this world as elect exiles, as those who have been chosen by God for salvation and because of that are experiencing increasing rejection here in this world? How do we navigate this type of life for the glory of of God. Well, Peter's going to show us this morning the vital truth that we are not to navigate this life at all alone. We're not to walk this pilgrim pathway that we're set upon following Jesus from earth to glory. We're to follow it alongside other believers. We're not to do it alone. Indeed, we cannot. Peter's already been hinting at this re- reality before in this letter, back in chapter 2, verses 4-5, through, through five, where if you remember, Peter wrote, As you come to Him, that is Jesus, who is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, there Peter showed us that those of us who are born again as we are drawn by God's grace closer and closer to Jesus Christ, we're going to be drawn closer and closer to Christ's body, the church. We will start to grow together and align ourselves together into a spiritual house of worship to God. As those who have been born again by God's great mercy and power, we are not to worship God and follow Christ in isolation. We're to worship God and follow Christ in community alongside our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the seventh and final way that 
Peter tells us in this letter how our new birth in Jesus transforms our everyday living. We saw, as an overview of what we've seen so far, we saw back in chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, that it transforms how we respond first and foremost to God. Second, in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, and how we respond to other believers. Then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and how we respond to ourselves. Then in chapter 2, verse 11, on into chapter 3, verse 22, and how we respond to the world around us. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and how we respond to trials. And then in chapter 4, verses 7 through 19, which we finished looking at last week, being born again transforms how we respond to the times in which we live. Well, beginning here in our passage this morning, Peter's going to show us how being born again in Christ Jesus transforms how we respond to the church. Because we have to be honest, our world, and even our American Christian culture, is not in love with this concept of the church. It's cool today to say that we're against organized religion, at least only when it comes to the Christian faith, and to adopt, rather, a type of religiosity that is very individualistic, very subjective, and very adaptive to whatever is right in anyone's mind at any moment. Leviticus 10 verse 1 has a term for that. It's called strange fire. And it doesn't end well. And what people forget is that according to 1 Corinthians 14.33, our God is a God of order who delights in imparting the same, that same beautifying order upon all that he has created, including the church. And this makes sense, doesn't it? For even dead stones, even dead stones to be brought together and to be built up into a house, there has to be order, doesn't there? There has to be structure. There has to be alignment, agreement, and oversight. Each stone does not decide where it wants to be put, right? So it is with God's house, the church. God has given us, in his word, biblical structures and instructions by which we can, as 1 Corinthians 14.40 states, do all things decently and in order also. In other words, we can reflect our God's unique glory by submitting to God's orderly structures and instructions that he has given us in his word regarding the church. Indeed, for those who are born again, it is their delight. This is the transformation that being born again brings. It transforms how we respond to the church from a response of disdain to a response of delight as we begin to see from the Word of God itself that the church is nothing less than the bride of Christ Himself that reflects the glorious beauty and divine order of God Himself. Being born again transforms how you and I respond to the church. And that's what Peter's going to show us in today's passage in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, as he describes what a church looks like when it is functioning according to God's good order and design as recorded in Scripture. And what we're going to discover together is that if a church is functioning properly according to God's word for the glory of God, you're going to have three very basic things taking place. First, you're going to see the shepherds in the church shepherding and exercising their spiritual leadership. Second, you're going to see the flock following as they hear God's word 
given by those leaders and follow. And then finally, you're going to see the entirety of the church esteeming and honoring others more highly than themselves. So this is how the new birth, and this is how spiritual regeneration is manifested in the life of a local church where born-again believers are brought together by the Spirit of God to worship and obey the words of Christ, you'll see the shepherd shepherding, the flock following, and the entirety esteeming others more highly than themselves. This is the functioning flock. And so with that in mind, please stand with me out of reverence for the Word of God as I read our passage today, which comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the Word of God, whose ways we delight in as much as in all riches. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You that You have not only shown us the path that we are going to walk, It is a path that leads to glory. But you have also shown us how we are to walk it. We are to walk it with our eyes firmly fixed on Christ, with our brothers and sisters in Christ surrounding us, daily bearing us up. Father, I pray that you would teach us this morning the nature of what it means to be a sheep in your your flock. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what it looks like to be a functioning flock in this world for your honor and for your glory. And that I pray that in the midst of a world that disdains the church, you would raise up here believers that love the church for what it is. The bride of Christ, the flock of God that he has purchased with his own blood. Father, help us to love your people, as you love us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, before I even dive into our passage this morning, I feel like there's something very important that I need to bring out and explain for all of us. I want you to notice something very important in verse 2, and that is this. God calls His people a flock. A flock. His flock. The flock of God. And the elders who have been appointed among them, he calls upon them to do the work of a shepherd. And so in this passage, Peter is describing a properly functioning church like that of a properly shepherded flock. 
Now, I've never been able to visit Israel, and I've never spent any time among Bedouin shepherds of the Middle East, but having grown up on a small hobby farm in Michigan, I have had my fair share of experience with sheep. And I can tell you that an unshepherded and unguided flock of sheep is never a good thing ever for two basic reasons. For two basic reasons. First, because of what sheep often do. And second, because of what sheep often are. So let me tell you a couple of stories. Here we go. First, an unstructured, an unshepherded, an unguided flock of sheep is never a good thing because of what sheep often do. First, sheep are prone to quickly get lost. Every day growing up, it was part of our chores, we would lead the sheep from their, from their uh, pen to their pasture, and we would do it along the exact same route every single day. And as long as the sheep could take the same route, they were fine. Well, I remember one day a windstorm came through, knocked over a tree in one of our backyards, and blocked their usual route to the pasture. No big deal though, right? I mean, all I would have to do is lead them along a slightly different route, and they would be just fine. Thus began a nearly half hour of frantically chasing sheep out of the garden, out of the road, and out of the sheds. It was just one tiny change, born out of necessity to bring those sheep where they needed to go, but nearly all the sheep flipped out in the process. If you did not carefully lead them, they'd get lost just going from one side of the yard to the other. So sheep are often very prone to getting lost. Second, sheep are often very prone to being misled, which explains why all those sheep went nuts. All it took was one obstinate sheep to get out in front of the rest and to leap in the wrong direction, and pretty soon you're chasing the whole flock all over the yard. Now, if you can get someone out in front of the sheep that, are, that lead them in the right direction, the whole flock is good. But if you get someone out in front of them that leads them in the wrong direction, the whole flock is in trouble and is liable to do something stupid and even destructive. Which leads to the final thing that sheep are often very prone to do. They're not only prone to get lost and misled, but third, when they are misled or they go their own way, sheep are often very prone to quickly get hurt. I remember one time trying to close the gate to the sheep pen before any of the sheep tried to get out, uh, but I was too slow. A cantankerous sheep barreled right through the crack before I could close it all the way, and so there I was, uh, and I had a loose sheep on my watch. But oh, it got far worse than that. Because you see, another sheep saw that that first cantankerous sheep had managed to escape, and he thought, I'll do that too. And it started running straight towards the gate. The only problem was the gate was closed at this point. And I stood there yelling at the sheep to stop, to turn away, and to listen, but it didn't. It kept on charging right ahead, followed the obstinate sheep's exact path, and to my horror, jumped headfirst straight into the gate. It dropped like a rock fell immediately to the ground, and started twitching. I I thought it was dead. (laughs) And I was like, what am I going to tell my dad? Uh, And I rushed to its side. Thankfully, it became conscious again, and it staggered away, and never tried to do that ever again. But that is just one story that I could give. I don't know how many times I stood by my dad as he bandaged an obstinate sheep for fighting against the shears when he was trying to cut off the wool or for jumping into a metal wire fence. Sheep need almost constant attention and oversight because if not, they will get hurt. In fact, if you don't, uh, I found this out, if you don't take care of sheep constantly, in fact, they'll die. 
I remember on one occasion, my dad found a sheep lying on its back and he flipped it over, it's on its feet. And I found out later that if you don't do that, their stomach gases will build up and they'll die. I wonder if they explode, probably not. (laughs) If you don't shear a sheep's wool repeatedly and regularly, excrement will build up, leading to a condition called fly strike and they'll die. If a predator attacks with no shepherd present, Other than running, a sheep has zero ability to defend itself. And then, where does it run? It runs towards the other sheep, which just leads to a bigger meal for the predator. In short, unlike every other animal on planet Earth, it is impossible for sheep to exist and stay alive without the nearly constant regular care, guidance, and protection of a shepherd. That was why one day, that was why after God made a sheep, he made Adam, right? Otherwise, sheep will get lost misled, hurt, and eventually, if left without a shepherd, eventually die. So first, an unstructured, unshepherded, unguided flock of sheep is never a good thing because of what sheep often do, and second, because of what sheep often are, which is the underlying condition between all their actions, right? Despite the fact that they so obviously need a shepherd because of what they often do, sheep don't obviously want a shepherd because of what they are, Really quickly, first, sheep are often stubborn. If you have to lead sheep to a new location of food or along a new path for pasture, you'll often find resistance. That's why you'll often see sheep having sheepdogs to help them along the way, or shepherds having sheepdogs. Though you know that that's where they need to go if they're going, if they're going to get a safe meal for the day, they don't know that, and they will often resist your guidance because sheep are often stubborn. Second, sheep are often unappreciative. If sheep could complain, I think they would. You can see it on their faces. Uh, When they're stubbornly comfortable in the shade or have just found a nice clump of green grass to chew on and you inform them that it's time to move out and that you have to call the sheepdog after them to get them to move, you can just tell. They are so inconvenienced. You have so inconvenienced those sheep. And so though you know that it's time for the scenery to change, they don't and... They are so put out by you infringing upon their lives. Sheep are often stubborn and often unappreciative. And that's why sheep need shepherding. And why an unstructured, unshepherded, unguided flock of sheep is never a good thing because of what sheep often do and because of what sheep often are. Well, ladies and gentlemen, guess what? We're those sheep. You and I. We're the ones that when God tells us to go in this direction, even if it's just slightly different, we freak out. We're the ones that, even though God has given us His Word, and many people to give us His Word, we're the ones that all of a sudden are like, well, rather than listen to that, there's this really cool magazine or this article or blog I read. I think I'd rather listen to that. Right? Come up with my own ideas. We're the ones that often decide, you know what, I'd rather go my own way in this. And then we find ourselves getting hurt. And we wonder why. It's because deep down, we're the ones that are stubborn. And deep down, we're the ones that are often unappreciative of guidance. This is what Scripture says. We are those sheep, you and I. This is what God says in first, uh, this is what God says here in 1 Peter 5, 2, when he calls us the flock of God. And lots of other places too. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, All we like sheep have done what? Gone astray. We have turned every single one of us to our what? 
own way. And that's why the Lord had to lay on Christ the iniquity of us all. In other words, like obstinate sheep, we're running towards sin. Right? We're like that fool that jumped into the gate. Right? We're plunging headlong towards destruction. So obviously needing shepherding, yet so obviously not wanting it. And yet that's exactly why Jesus came to earth, to be our Lord and Savior. Because as Matthew 9 verse 36 says, He had compassion on us. Because we were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so as a good shepherd, He laid down His life for the sheep. He paid the price for our redemption so that we could, as His flock, find salvation, safety, and security beneath His saving sovereignty. As Peter's already said back in chapter 2, verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then even after salvation, Jesus still says of us in Luke 10, verse 3, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Spiritually, you and I are a lot like sheep. We're quick to get lost, be misled, get hurt. Even as believers, we're so obviously needing a shepherd yet so obviously not wanting one. And just like sheep, we are of dear and great value to our shepherd. And therefore, God does not leave us alone to take this pilgrim pathway. He gives us brothers and sisters in Christ. He gives us His Word. He gives us Jesus as our example. And He even gives us under-shepherds to help us on our way. So here Peter tells us that if we're going to be able to make it through hard times of difficulty and trials for the glory of God, we've got to be a part of a local church that is functioning properly as a flock of God beneath the shepherding oversight of Jesus. Of Jesus. And so the first characteristic of that properly functioning flock that I want us to consider this morning is that you need to have shepherds shepherding. That's in verses 1-4. through Peter begins by saying this, I exhort the elders among you. In other words, in light of this great need that you and I as believers have to live in this world for the glory of God, Peter turns to the elders of the local church and he says, Elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you and exercise oversight. In other words, look around you. See the flock of God that He's purchased with His own blood and get to work. Leaders start leading. Shepherds start shepherding. And this is a really neat passage of Scripture, by the way, because Peter tells us here that the three biblical synonyms, he gives us here the three biblical synonyms for a church leader back to back. Elder, shepherd, and overseer. Those are three terms that describe three functions of the same office. The term elder describes someone who is spiritually mature and is seasoned in the Scriptures. The term shepherd or pastor is to someone who is committed to teaching and feeding others the Scriptures. And the term overseer describes someone who, through careful observance, is leading others consistently straight according to the Scriptures as well. And so Peter's saying, listen, at all times of life, but especially during the difficult times that we find ourselves in, As elect end times exiles, the local church, the flock of God, needs leaders who will lead. They need spiritually mature men who rising fresh daily from the Scriptures are ready to feed God's Word to God's people and are ready to lead them on right paths for His name's sake. Flock needs shepherds. 
The church needs shepherds shepherding. And so Peter exhorts the elders of each individual local church to do just that. And the language in the Greek indicates that there were multiple elders, multiple shepherds, and multiple overseers for each individual flock, by the way. There were, as theologians put it, a plurality of elders who were responsible for leading the church in the way of God's Word. And I want you to appreciate that. I want you to appreciate that. Because we, have a church, we as a church have something very special here. We as a church have recognized this is what Scripture teaches and we've actually put it into practice for the glory of God. And I just want to highlight that this morning. There's a lot of wisdom to it and I want you to see that it comes from God's Word. Now this idea of having a plurality of elders is not something unique to the New Testament, by the way. It's actually something that begins all the way back in the Old Testament. If you remember in Exodus 18, Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law, he comes along and he rejoices at all the good things that God has done for Israel through Moses. Led them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, headed to the Promised Land. Great things, right? But then the next day, Jethro sees Moses single-handedly judging and counseling and teaching the people of Israel from morning till night. It was exhausting for him, and it was exhausting for the people that were depending on him and were waiting to see him. And so Jethro says to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Look for able men from among the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as elders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them bear the burden with you. So there were multiple, there you find out that in the, in the Old Testament, in Israel, there were multiple elders set up to help the nation, and they operated in sort of a spiritual triage, if you will, so that only the most weighty and important matters made it up to Moses. They, as a plurality of elders, bore the weight of shepherding all of Israel together as a team. And that ended up working extremely well. Because when Moses eventually died, there was a man who had already been practicing, leading, and serving in their midst named Joshua, who had served right alongside Moses and could immediately step up and lead the nation in their next leg of the journey into the promised land. This type of plural leadership structure endured in Israel for generations, even after they were established in the land, where each individual community synagogue had elders Mature, godly, spiritual leaders learned in the Word who exercised oversight and were responsible for teaching the Word of God to God's people. And so what you really see is that this Old Testament precedent was continued into the New Testament, into New Testament practice. You find in Acts 11.30 that there were multiple elders at the church of Antioch. In Acts 15.2 that there were multiple elders in the church in Jerusalem. In Acts 20, verse 17, and 1 Timothy 5.18, there were multiple elders at the church in Ephesus. In Philippians 1.1, there were multiple elders at the church in Philippi. And you know, you find this same practice in every single new local church that the apostles ever planted in the New Testament. So Acts 14.23 tells us that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders, plural, in every church, singular. And in Titus 1 verse 5, Paul tells Titus to follow the same pattern that he had in Crete, which was to appoint elders in every town. So now having multiple elders, shepherds, and overseers in a church has a lot of practical wisdom to it that I want you to see this morning. First, 
It guards against deviation. No one man sets the doctrine of the church. If a man's teaching or living begins to stray into error, there are other godly, mature, word-saturated men already appointed in leadership who can immediately correct the error. They keep each other accountable. So a plurality of eldership guards against deviation. Secondly, it guards against dictatorship. No one man can unilaterally make the decisions, right? All decisions must be arrived at as a group and in a multitude of counselors you always find wisdom. And then finally, plurality of elders guards against discontinuity. No one man is involved in everything. And so if one of the elders needs to step down or is called away for any reason at any time, there are other spiritual men who have already been appointed, qualified, teaching, serving, and able to step up and carry on the work. And so brothers and sisters, I wanted to point that out today because all of us should be rejoicing as the flock of God because God has given us here at this church a great blessing in providing many godly men who are already qualified, already trained, already teaching, already serving, already counseling, and already engaged in the ministry of the Word for the sake of the Gospel and the glory of God. And that is something that you should rejoice in. Many Biblically qualified men are already eldering, shepherding, overseeing, counseling, and all the above, whether they have an office or not. And so Peter turns to these types of men who have been doing this type of work among the flock of God. And in essence, he encourages them in how to pastor. He shows them the heart of Christ that they're to have in their own pastoring. He tells them as shepherds to stay focused on three things. Stay focused on their assignment. Stay focused on their attitude. Stay focused on their reward. And first, he says, I want you to stay focused on your assignment and serving. Your assignment and serving. And this is in verses 1 through 2. And to be honest, this is going to be as far as we can get today, I can tell already. So, verse 1. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Peter tells them, stay focused on your assignment, men, and do it. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now why would Peter have to say that? You should always ask questions when you're reading Scripture. Why would Peter have to write that in this letter? Well, it is because church leaders can often get distracted, grow discouraged, and shrink back from practicing proper, good, biblical spiritual leadership. And I think there are two main reasons why spiritual leaders and qualified men can grow discouraged and can retreat from biblical spiritual leadership. The first reason is because they're sinners. And the second reason is because everyone else in the church is sinners also. So first, the fact that they're sinners can often discourage elders from exercising spiritual leadership. You know, I don't think there's ever been an honest churchman who has ever examined their life next to the glory and weight of the gospel ministry that has not also walked away and said with Paul in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 16, who's sufficient for these things? For as James 3 2 says, we all stumble in many ways. 
And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. That's pretty humbling when you consider that your primary job as an elder is to speak the very oracles of God. And so if you don't look at your own insufficiencies and fallenness properly, it can be discouraging as a spiritual leader because you are a sinner. And you'll never do justice to the glory and the weight of the gospel. The second reason why a leader may become discouraged in exercising biblical spiritual leadership is because not only are they sinners, but let's be honest, everybody else in the church is sinners also. And just like when a shepherd is dealing with sheep, the job can get pretty messy at times. If you've ever sheared a sheep, you know this. And you're sometimes dealing with people that need shepherding, but don't want it. And when believers start being stubborn, resistant, and unappreciative of those who have been appointed by God to watch over them and guide them, those leaders can get very discouraged. And they can be tempted to say, fine, then do whatever you want. Go your own way. Maybe after a few of you leap off a cliff or get eaten by wolves, then you'll listen. And so not only their sinfulness, but also the sinfulness of the rest of the flock can discourage elders and qualified men and cause them to shrink back from exercising spiritual leadership. Remember, the best shepherd among the flock is still a sheep also. And so Peter, in one of the most humble and encouraging ways imaginable, he comes alongside these men as a fellow elder, and he gives them exactly the type of encouragement that these men needed. See, Peter knew all about being insufficient for ministry, didn't he? I mean, he he had denied Jesus three times. Peter knew what it was like to go through weakness and failure and to think, I am not cut out for this. But he also knew that his journey through weakness also had a purpose under the sovereignty of God so that he could come out on the other side equipped and able to now strengthen his brother's with what he even learned, even in weakness. And so as one who knew the daily pressures and discouragements of being an elder, pastor, and overseer, Peter comes alongside and encourages these men. Notice, he says, as a fellow elder. Acts 9.32 tells us that when the early church was scattered and was unable to meet together, Peter went here and there among them all, administering to them the word of God. And so Peter knew experientially the daily pressures of ministry and shepherding the flock. And so he does not, he comes to these men and he does not hit them over the head as an apostle might, or even sadly as a church member might. He comes alongside them as a fellow elder and he encourages them, don't stop. Whether they recognize it or not, the flock of God needs you. I understand your pressures as a fellow elder elder second he encourages these men as a witness of the sufferings of christ in other words peter knew he saw firsthand what jesus went through in order to obtain his bride peter saw firsthand the value of the church in the eyes of god he saw the drops of blood and therefore the importance of pastors and elders to the church that god so dearly loves And so he encouraged those leaders, keep on leading. It's just like what Paul said in Ephesians 
uh, uh, to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20.28, which we read this morning when he said, Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Why? Because he obtained it with his own blood. So yes, on the one hand, it's a flock. But on the other hand, it's the flock of God. And don't you see, the church is valuable in the eyes of God. This body you are among today is the most valuable entity you will ever belong to this side of heaven. Do you realize it? This is more valuable than any job you'll ever be in. Believe it or not, this is more valuable even than your own biological family. The flock of God. The church whom God has purchased with His own blood. This is of the greatest value. The church is of the greatest value. In the eyes of God and therefore the responsibility to watch over it and lead it and protect it is important as well. And so Peter tells those men, listen, whether others recognize it or appreciate it or not, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, I understand the true value and importance of the shepherding work. And third, Peter encourages them to continue leading faithfully, not only as a fellow elder, not only as a first-hand eyewitness of Christ's sufferings, but also as a partaker, a common partaker, in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now Peter's going to talk about that later in verse 4. But for now, I want you to just consider that on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter actually saw for a moment the glory that was to come. As he was there with the transformed, glorified Christ and the fellowship of the saints of the past, he saw the reward that awaits those who endure and remain faithful to Jesus. And so Peter comes along those elders and he encourages them, men, I know your pressures, I know your importance, but I also know your reward. I know the end game. I know the end of the pilgrimage. I know where we're leading these people. So be faithful in shepherding. Shepherds keep shepherding. Leaders keep leading. Stay focused on your assignment. And here, here's the assignment in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. More literally, feed the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. And whether we're talking about shepherding or feeding, the focus of ministry is always the same. How do we shepherd or lead other believers? It's by the Word of God. And how, do we, and how do we feed and nourish other believers spiritually? It's by the Word of God also. See, the only tool and the only authority that we as elders have in the ministry is the Word of God. That is our authority. Elders are not those who are leaders according to worldly standards. Elders are men of the Word, dominated by the Word, indwelt with the Word, speaking the Word, thinking the Word, loving the Word, delighting in it. That's who an elder is. And the only tool and the only authority that we as elders have in ministry is the Word of God, but ladies and gentlemen also hear that it is an authority. And that's why Peter says, use it. Shepherds, keep on shepherding. Leaders, keep on leading. With the staff of God's Word in your hands, shepherds of the church, exercise, he says, oversight. That's 
episcopus in the Greek, from which we get our word telescope and microscope. Both the big picture view and the close detail view. In fact, the Latin translation of this word is supervision. Right? It means to see the big picture and to act accordingly, as well as look closely, intently, and carefully at all the details. And by the way, Bedouin shepherds would do this in the ancient world all the time. Uh, during grazing time, they would climb up onto a high rock and get, the, get a view of the entire landscape. They'd spy out any potential threats, possible resources, wayward sheep, and then they'd climb down, they'd move among the flock, and they'd start guiding the individual sheep with their staff in the direction they needed to go. That's what pastors and elders are to do for the church as well. They're to go to God's Word. They're to get the big picture. They're to figure out where the whole church needs to go to be faithful to the Word of God. And then they're to get in among the flock and start, start guiding each believer with the Word of God in the direction they need to go. And so while spiritual leaders have no other authority than the Word of God, it is still an authority and it's a necessary one at that. And so Peter says, use it, teach it, feed it. Wield it. Use it. If the church is going to be a properly functioning flock where believers are faithfully living as elect exiles for the glory of God, then shepherds need to be shepherding. Stay fervently focused on your assignment. God's people need God's Word and He has appointed men to do that. My heart is burdened with application, so we're going to stop right here, and we'll look at the rest of this passage next week. But for now, I want to give you all two basic applications from what we looked at this morning. First, to those of you who are directly spiritual leaders in the church, and even secondarily to those who are regular teachers and counselors and communicators of God's Word, I want you to hear the heart of Peter here. Do not get discouraged. And don't get distracted. Stay fervently focused on your assignment. Keep on grasping onto and guiding others by the staff of God's Word. And to encourage you along the way, will you fail sometimes? Yes. Right? Will you drop the staff and not live up to God's Word? Yes. But remember, those times happen not only for our growth, but for the growth of those who are around us as well. Keep holding fast and holding forth the word of truth so that all may see your progress. Ezra 7 verse 10 puts it this way, study the word in order to do the word in order to teach the word. If you're interested in that process of studying the word to do the word to teach the word, if you're interested in growing in your handling of God's word, I encourage you to go back to the bulletin board after this service. There are two sign-up sheets hanging up there to gather interest on something. One, if you're interested in attending a weekend biblical counseling courses, in attending weekend biblical counseling courses, if you're interested in that, sign up. And then two, we have a sign-up sheet that if you're interested in attending a weekend course on how to read, study, and teach the Bible, put your name down on that as well. But particularly for those of you who are spiritual leaders and regular teachers of God's Word, those are two practical ways that we can keep focused on our assignment by studying the Word in order to do the Word in order to teach the Word and in that order. Second, you might be sitting there thinking, you just gave me a whole verse about what shepherds are supposed to do. How does this apply to me? Okay, here it is. Second, 
For you who may not find yourself in a position of eldership or teaching this morning, the application of this passage is very clear. It's to encourage, as Peter does, those who are in those positions. Just as Peter does here, because their service is vital to being a properly functioning flock here at Grace Chapel. See, there are nearly constant reasons why a shepherd, an elder, or a teacher may be tempted to become discouraged and shrink back from their biblical role of leadership. So you be a constant source of encouragement to your shepherds, elders, and teachers. 2 Corinthians 1.24 reminds us that they are workers with you for your joy. So let them do it with joy by encouraging them. There are three practical ways to do that. Here you go. Three practical ways. First, pray for their needs. There is no greater encouragement you could give to your teachers and your elders here at Grace Chapel than to tell them, I'm praying for you. Second, value their shepherding. Seek, first way to do that, seek out their positive insight and advice. Take them out for coffee and ask them, what do you think about this? Uh, How would you handle that? And think about it. Get to know them and value their shepherding. Another way that you can value their shepherding is just reminding them that you value it. Write them a note. When's the last time you wrote a letter to your your care elder, and just said, thank you for what you do. And then third way, third practical way to encourage your elders and teachers is to encourage their families. You know, one of the greatest encouragements you can give to a pastor, elder, or teacher is to be a blessing to their family or to their wife or their kids if they still have them, to take an interest in them as people, befriend them, and care for their needs. And there are many more that I can give But these are three easy and basic ways that you can encourage those in leadership at Grace Chapel to continue in their biblical work of shepherding the flock of God that is among them by praying for their needs, valuing their shepherding, and encouraging their families. Because for believers, for you and I, to glorify God rightly in this world as elect exiles, we need to be a part of a functioning flock where the shepherds are shepherding by staying focused on their assignment. We as leaders can work towards that this week by studying the Word in order to do the Word, in order to teach the Word. And we as a flock can work towards that this week by appreciating those in leadership among us and by encouraging them personally, spiritually, and emotionally in their work. That we as the sheep of God's pasture might be a functioning flock for the glory of God until we find ourselves in the presence of the Lord. We'll have to look at the rest of the passage next week, but for now, this is the Word of God from 1 Peter 5, 1-2, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until the true and great shepherd of our souls returns. To that end, as the men come forward for communion this morning, let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word I thank you for reminding us this morning of the value of the church. Father, I thank you for reminding us of the importance of this role of shepherding. Father, I pray that for those of us who are in these positions of spiritual service, that you would give us grace, that we would be faithful stewards 
Help us, Father, to be humble every day so that we would be in Your Word, so that we might obey Your Word, so that we might be teachers of Your Word. And then, Father, I pray that You would be with all of us. I thank You, Father, for how You have for many, many years raised up faithful leaders here in this church who shepherd and counsel and guide us faithfully. Help us to appreciate their shepherding. Help us to pray for them. Help us to value their opinions and perspectives. Help us to protect them and their families and their marriages. Father, I pray that you would make us a church that functions properly for your honor and glory in this day as we see the day approaching. May we have a church where the shepherds are being encouraged every day to stay focused on their great assignment for the glory of God. And may we faithfully heed your word and follow it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.